0: My name is Dr. Brendan McCarthy. I am the chief medical officer at Protea Medical Center in Chandler, Arizona. Thank you for tuning into my podcast. For today's podcast, we're going to do something a little bit different from the ones we've done in the past. This will be about men. So we're going to switch gears. Before we talked about women, we spoke specifically about a case that I made up as an amalgam of all these women that I've seen and uh, about Julie. This is one about men, and this is going to be a two-part as well. So the first part will be today, and then tune in for the next one. Um, As with all of my podcasts, this is very important that I, I let you know this. I don't just say things that I think. And I don't just say fact just because I think it's a fact. I cite what I say. Whenever I tell you something, whenever I point out a fact, I cite my research. I don't just come up with this just because I think it sounds good. You know, good medicine is predicated on good research. And I will cite studies. I will cite primarily tier one journals as much as possible. A lot of times I'll just cite basic stuff like school books, you know, medical textbooks, basic medicine. Like even today, I'm going to talk about Campbell Walsh urology, which is about as basic a medical textbook as it gets. And I'm going to cite from it. So I want you to know everything I say here. Nothing is just pulled from the air. I don't just say things because I think it's going to sound good. I say the things that come from... Clinical experience that is rooted in research. So whenever I cite something, there'll be a little thing that comes up here in the corner. And when you see that, you can look at the description section of the video. And in there I'll have that citation. It'll be marked to the time that I said that. So it'll be a timestamp associated with it. So without further ado, today's presentation. So today we're going to talk about men, and, you know, talk about men specifically, we'll get into talking about testosterone. And that's the most important androgen in men that we treat. There's been recently a lot of discussions online in the media, and there's been a lot of uh, articles published in the news regarding the shifts that we're seeing in men. Specifically, you know, sperm counts are dropping dramatically. Uh, there was one study... Uh, that cites that men, sperm counts in men, have gone from 101 million down to 48 million from 1980 to 2018. That's a 50% drop, a little over 50% drop. There are, in fact, some out there that would say that this is not a problem. And where they're coming from when they say that is fertility is not affected with a sperm count, until it gets below 50 million. When it gets below 50 million, that's when you start seeing issues with fertility. So prior to this, during the 1990s and and early 2000s, we knew this drop was happening. This has been published during those years. But the reason why it wasn't brought to the mainstream and people being told this out in the normal media was because the idea is that Well, it's not really affecting fertility rates, so how big of a deal is it? And I know that does not make sense. I know it doesn't make sense. It's frustrating. So we have this drop-off in sperm count in men. How is that associated with testosterone, you might ask? That's important. Your testosterone and your sperm come from the same source, your germ cells and your testicles. So when there's damage to that part of your body, you're not going to have a normal sperm count. You're not going to have normal testosterone. Other studies are showing us that since the 1980s, the average testosterone levels have decreased by 1% per year. And it's been a little over 40 years now. So we have about a 40% decline in testosterone in men over those past 40 years. Again, this is cited in the research. This one was in the Journal of Clinical Endocrinology and Metabolism uh, that was published. And that's not an alternative journal at all. It's tier one. So we're finding this drop-off in testosterone. We're finding a drop-off in sperm counts. We're also seeing a change in the morphology and the motility of sperm, which means that it's not the correct shape, the sperm, and it's not structurally sound, and it doesn't swim very well. That drop-off has also been excessive, and it's been going on over the past 40 years. Some would say that why we have these changes in our sperm health is because of men's health. You know, we could see, you know, type 2 diabetes is, is, is rising. That's true. That is a fact. And the quality of our diets is not very good. That's true. But one study that I cite that was published in the journal Andrology in 2016 showed that there was a decline in sperm count and motility in young adult men from 2003 to 2013 that was independent of the men's health. In other words, these men that they studied over these years were all had a normal blood sugar, normal body weight, normal health. All the metrics of their health was wonderful. But their motility and morphology were becoming a problem. So it's not just diet and lifestyle that some people would portray it as. It's more complicated than that. It's more in-depth than that. So, we have a drop-off in sperm count. We have a drop-off in the quality of the sperm, the motility of the sperm. We have all these changes occurring in men. What else is happening? Men in utero have testosterone levels equal to that of a man. Equal to that of a man. In the womb, and what was that doing then? Well, it's helping develop the physiology of that boy who's going to turn into a man. It's it's playing a role in developing the secondary sexual characteristics. It's recruiting those stem cells to move into certain positions for developing the body. It's masculinizing him. It's, it's setting him up for who he's going to be as an adult, and and then when he's born. The same thing will happen one more time in that first year of life. His testosterone levels are going to climb up there, back up to like, you know, 700, 800, 900, which is where it would be as a young man. That little one-year-old baby. What's it doing there too? Same thing, developing him. It's giving him all the characteristics that he's going to look like as a man. It's going to help develop his body. It's going to just set up his definition as, as who he's going to be as a man. Great. This is important been like this since the beginning then as we progress through life the numbers go down in year two and 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 after that it stays low until puberty and that's because we want growth hormone to be present and we want growth hormone to develop the rest of the body to to mature correctly and then we go through puberty we stop growing in height growth hormone goes down we go through more of our puberty our bodies develop into the full masculinity that it's supposed to be as a man what we're seeing in the research and we're seeing the literature and we're seeing actually in clinics and in hospitals is that boys are being born with congenital penile anomalies at alarming rates we have higher incidences of micropenis higher incidences of uh, hypospadias and hypospadias is when you know the penis should be closed it should be one tube basically you know it's a tube and um, without enough androgens in, that, in utero, it stays open like a, like a tube like that. It's filleted open. Part of development is that it starts to close together. The penis closes together and, and creates the tube. If you don't have enough androgens, it kind of stays open. So, so the penis doesn't fully develop. That's happening at alarming rates. Again, this is cited in, in my notes, in my details of this, this uh, description, rather, of this video. We've tried. We tried. <laughs> we tried videoing this um, several times. Every time I do it, I cut it. I'm like, I don't want to do this. I'm not ready to talk about this stuff. And, and I've done this presentation at conferences before, and it still is so hard to talk about this stuff because whenever you're talking about a child being born into the world, you want them to have everything. And talking about this subject is so heart wrenching. So I'm going to do my best to muscle through anyway. Men are born with increased incidences of penile anomalies anomalies that are associated with or directly uh, related to deficient androgens, low testosterone during development and during the first year uh, of life. So that is a fact. So what else is happening with low testosterone in men? That's development, that's reproduction, And that's the overall number we know is going down. What's the impact of it in a man, in an adult, in general? Um, This goes back to Campbell. I first was introduced to this information in Campbell-Wall's urology in med school. And I was, like, so surprised by this information. You know, you just think of testosterone in your endocrinology section of, of school and learning and education. And just in general life, you think testosterone has muscles, it's libido. Yeah, that's about it, right? You know, that's what you think of. Wrong. (laughs) <laughs> it's so much more than that. You know, studies show that men with low testosterone actually have a higher incidence of type 2 diabetes. That's true. That's, again, Campbell-Walsh Urology, but also JAMA published that one, okay? So men whose testosterone is subpar have a higher incidence of developing type 2 diabetes. Does that mean if your testosterone is low, you're going to get type 2 diabetes? No. Please remember this. Again, no. Does that mean if I have type 2 diabetes, if I take testosterone, it's going to cure it? No. all right no what it is saying is is that if you have low testosterone and your lifestyle is compromised and you're eating poorly you have a higher risk absolutely and most people don't eat well so yes and if you have type 2 diabetes and you're eating really well you're taking very good care of yourself you're doing everything right to fix that a1c if you have low testosterone in your lab work by normalizing testosterone will it have an impact absolutely absolutely but it's important to diagnose the patient with low testosterone. You don't just see someone with type 2 diabetes like, here's your testosterone. No. You have to see if that's a cofactor. If it's a cofactor, labs will show it, then you use it to treat it. So there is a link between type 2 diabetes and testosterone. What else? We well, you know testosterone treatment reduces the leptin, obesity, and insulin found in low testosterone men. Um, testosterone also improves insulin action. It decreases. I'm reading this out of Campbell Urology, by the way verbatim i just want to make sure i do that i want you to know where this is coming from okay so uh testosterone also improves insulin action decreases visceral fat and glucose concentrations it also improves insulin sensitivity (laughs) yeah think about that my last podcast i was talking about insulin is associated with weight gain and obesity remember and so here i am saying it again you know testosterone does play a role with insulin anybody who treats uh Anybody who does endocrinology and treats men with low testosterone, if you have a guy who comes in with type 1 diabetes, you give them testosterone, they don't need as much insulin. You have to adjust their insulin with testosterone because it has that impact, positive impact. So this is important. Testosterone is not just libido. It's not just sex. It's not just muscles. It's your endocrinology associated with your your blood sugar metabolism. Definitely. Um, Here's a couple of quick slides. In this slide, you'll see the impact testosterone has in fat mass. You know, this is published in the General of Clinical Endocrinological Metabolism. And down here, we also see there's a change in lean mass when we give men testosterone as well. And there you see a benefit with testosterone with bone mineral density. And that was also, it's not huge, but man, it's pretty significant, isn't it? So testosterone, yeah, it has an impact on muscle mass. It has an impact on reducing body fat, but also improves bone density in men. So testosterone is effective throughout the body. In fact, one study shows that older men with low levels of testosterone uh, have a 40% increased risk of death. Okay, this is morbid, but have a 40% increased risk of death over the following 20 years compared with men with normal testosterone. Okay, this is independent of age, adiposity, and lifestyle. This was this association was not explained by pre-existing disease and it was not specific to a single cause of death. So if you have testosterone levels that are low, you have over the next twenty years a higher incidence or higher risk for dying. It's it's not what you just think of as just some some um, unnecessary kind of like add-on feature that your body has, like your car, like, oh, I'm going to get a, you know, this special upgrade here. It's not an upgrade. Testosterone replacement therapy is not an upgrade to the system. It's more than that. Studies show with cognitive performance with men, men who have low testosterone will have sub-optimal cognitive performance. And that when you give men testosterone, it will improve cerebral perfusion, And it will reverse a lot of the damage that was done from low testosterone. So we have cognitive improvements as well. This next part is kind of tricky to explain. Because we're so conditioned to think that testosterone causes us to become angry and mean and violent. We're just conditioned to think that way. And it's not accurate, even a little bit. So I'm going to dispel that. So we know that testosterone... Improves our health and plays a definite role in our health, physical health. We know that it has a definite impact on cognitive performance. What about the thing that no one wants to talk about, or no one really fully talks about? In my opinion, really clearly, or (laughs) incorrectly, what about our mood? You know, you think taking testosterone is going to turn a guy into a jerk, right? It's a guy takes testosterone, he's probably be violent. He's gonna run around and yell at people. You know, start fights in the streets. That's what the thought is of testosterone, isn't it? That's the the, um, stereotype that's out there. Is it true? No. No, no, no. Research does not bear that out. The perception of stress starts in the amygdala. And testosterone plays a definite role in the amygdala. Okay? In the amygdala, it has that place in your brain where you have the fight-or-flight reflex. If you have low androgen tone... Right? If you have low testosterone and you perceive a stressor, you're going to go more into flight. Does that mean you're going to run out of the room and run away? No, but it does mean that you won't engage anymore and you kind of just walk away. How many times do we as men do that? When we just become more absent, we check out. How many times do we hear that from our spouse or our friends? You check out. When something stressful happens, that's an easy thing for us to do because that's the fight or flight infl- reflex. Does that mean giving you testosterone means you're going to go into the room and start throwing down? (laughs) No, no. It's more complex than that, okay? So the amygdala has the impulse itself. That's where it starts, the amygdala. And that's the fight or flight reflex. But also the amygdala has confidence, assertiveness, aggressiveness, risk-taking. Yeah, does that mean if I give you testosterone, it's going to make you aggressively driving down the road and cutting people off? Or does it mean you're going to be, you know, assertive and telling people to be quiet and you're in charge? No. The impulse does start at the amygdala, but it must go through your frontal cortex. Please remember that. Your frontal cortex is the way you were raised. It's who you are as a person. It's who you are as a man. It's your, your beliefs. It's your spirituality. It's the man that you've become. That's who you are. The impulse goes to the frontal cortex, and the frontal cortex then expresses it in a socially acceptable way. If someone were to have damage to the frontal cortex, does that mean then they'll be more expressive? Sure. You know, that's damage to the frontal cortex, which I'll get more into in a minute. But I want you to understand, this is how it works. It starts the amygdala and moves the frontal cortex. And the frontal cortex is where you make the choices of how you express it. So when you give a man testosterone, and he has the fight or flight reflex, and he feels like this is a stressor in front of me, what does the fight look like in that case? The fight would look more like, I can deal with this, I got this could do this i can win i can i can figure this problem out i can overcome this challenge that's the fight and and what is the assertiveness the assertiveness is like this is what i believe this is this is how i see the world this is what i feel and what is aggressive aggressively pursuing your dreams what you want not letting your dreams pass you by risk taking that's like i'm going to go out there i'm going to try doing so, i'm going to try making it it's worth the risk. It's worth the risk of pursuing something and doing something and getting out there. That's what testosterone does. That's what it does. So, so is it, is it, you know, give someone testosterone, they're going to become a rage monster. No, that's not how it works. More. Then I'm going to come back, circle back to, to the, uh, uh amygdala. And this is complex stuff. and I'm trying to cram a lot into one, one presentation today. I know, I know I will do my best. And I will do more on this in the future because it needs to be teased out. And I need to go into very specific aspects of it. But I'm just trying to give you a global survey of what I'm talking about here. Testosterone, when it gets into your body and it crosses the blood-brain barrier, it gets converted into something called the androstane class of neurosteroids. Okay? The androstane class of neurosteroids modulate the GABA receptor of your brain. That's the gamma immunobutyric acid receptor. And that's where how your body modulates anxiety and stresses GABA. You know, if you give someone Xanax, what are you giving them? GABA agonist. They're trying to calm down that GABA receptors. They're trying to get the body to relax. That's what that does. Testosterone is, in and of itself, an anxiolytic, which means it's an anti anxiety agent. Surprise. <laughs> it is. Does the journal support that? So when you have low testosterone in a man, believe it or not, you have a higher incidence of anxiety. And the low testosterone man, the amygdala, when he sees stress, he's going to retreat. He's going to pull back. He's going to have more fear. So there's anxiety and fear going on in there. That's what low testosterone is. We know testosterone, to sum things up a little bit, and this is by no means exhaustive. There's more, but this is a good place to start with understanding it. We know testosterone is deficient. We know the deficiency is affecting our fertility. We know the deficiency is affecting children being born. We know the deficiency has a direct impact on our metabolism of glucose and has a direct impact on the way our body metabolizes insulin. We know this deficit affects us neurologically with cognitive performance. We also know the deficit affects the way we handle things emotionally. So it's a big deal. There's a lot to this. So with that said, how are we treating it? How's it being treated nowadays? Well, um. (laughs) drink. It's not a beer. It's a kombucha. (laughs) should be a beer. should be be a beer. (laughs) Yeah. How do we approach this? How is it being approached currently in the medical industry out there that you're seeing? Um, ah, Not well. (laughs) Let me start with that. It's not being approached well. Um, and this is the source of a lot of problems because it's being avoided and not really managed well or thought very well of by the, the, the you know medical industry as it stands now. They're not really addressing it nearly as well as they should. I mean, for the love of Pete, the decline in sperm count, I learned about that in med school 20 plus years ago. I knew this was happening back then. My instructors were talking about it back then and no one's talked about it. It's never been really, really, really discussed. They've avoided it, you know. And now here we are, we're about to hit a crisis with it. We're about to hit a crisis with it. So how are they handling it? They're not, they're avoiding it. So how is it being seen out there in the market? Well, mostly right now, the industry for testosterone in men and, and treating testosterone deficiency in men is mostly patient-driven, believe it or not. You know, women, men are gonna go online, they're gonna see, you know, testosterone is good for these things and they're gonna learn about it. Like, they're gonna do those, these questionnaires, they're gonna look at these questionnaires and they're gonna see it like, I probably have low testosterone, right? That's what's going on with me. And so they're going to go to their primary care provider or maybe go to these clinics. The thing is that not everyone's going to do the questionnaires and not everyone's going to feel like they have low testosterone. Not everyone's going to know. A lot of the symptoms with testosterone deficiency are often associated with just aging and and, and poor, poor uh, lifestyle choices. You know, erectile dysfunction is not always testosterone deficiency. A lot of times erectile dysfunction is high blood sugar, high blood pressure, poor cholesterol metabolism you're taking you know drugs you know things like that that stuff will cause it so your doctor's not going to pick up or think of low testosterone just think hey buddy you got to stop the sugar hey buddy you got to exercise and it's not that they're wrong they're not wrong they're just not looking at testosterone because they are just thinking this is you getting old because and not just getting old you're decaying because over time your age you've been not taking care of yourself and that's what they usually put that into um the demand for testosterone is being patient-driven, and and when it's patient-driven like that, the type of care the patient receives is dependent upon the clinic they go to. So if they go to their primary care provider and they say to them, eh, you know, you gotta stop eating sugar, or you gotta watch your cholesterol, or you gotta change your diet, or any number of different advice they get, and the patient's like that doesn't fit me. A lot of times, the patient will go and try another clinic, go somewhere else, you know, and that's where they start to have some some strange things happen um let me back up a little bit okay the thing is like right now men in general and there's a lot of books reading around a lot of research around this and and you know I'm if I'm the first one to mention this to you you know surprise you know uh men are currently getting more and more insecure we are we are I'm a man and I'm not a gender trader at all but this is a fact we are as men becoming increasingly insecure why is that why is that well the primitive part of our brains you know the more animal part of our brain we have a dual purpose up there right we look at everything through that two-piece lens and that part of our brain still there hasn't gone away and that's gonna be can i either procreate with this or do i need to attack this is this a threat or is this something i can procreate with that's the that's the two you have up there and we try and throw everything through that algorithm okay and and through that algorithm we're gonna compete with each other we see who's better at providing or who's better at protecting and that's how we are. And if you think about it, it's kind of like that socially, isn't it? You know, am I a better provider than that other guy over there? How do we compete for a woman's attention? You know, how can I be more protective or can I provide more for them? That's kind of where we've always put our self-worth and our self-values in that, that that equation there. The thing is, is like when we compete with women's attention, we're doing it more with like money or if we can provide you with, you know, security from threats But the world is changing, you know, with women entering the the workforce and and making more money and and taking more leadership positions, men are losing that primal identity. They don't really need us to be providing for them like that anymore. And with the increased, you know, socialization and culturalization that we've had of, you know, laws and the rule of law, you know, the protection for women is changing. The need for us to be defending women is changing. You know, I don't want to open the door for my wife anymore. It's not because I'm like, oh, I should I have, because she's strong. She goes to the gym to work out, you know, so I, that's her. She wants that a little bit of exercise there. Am I going to pick up her bags for her? The, I'll help her, but I'm not going to take the bag out of her hands. That's her exercise. She wants that. You know, I'm not here to rescue her from wanting to do what she wants to do, right? So, so this shift that's happening with women and men, with women not needing us to be providing for them and women not needing us to protect them, is really screwing around with a lot of our identity, a lot of us collectively as men screwing around with our sense of identity it's it's uh, creating a sense of desperation in some cases mm-hmm. and existential insecurity in other cases and and you know men start to question am I a real man because I who do I need to provide for and who I need to defend enter in now <laughs> marketing <laughs> you know we have marketing material out there that says when did it be a I'm reading marketing material as we speak okay this is not me I didn't invent this this is this is you know <laughs> How it's happening. Marketing material out there says, when did it become okay for men to become softer, lazier, and weaker? The same brand is going to offer you a free month's trial if you text the promo WIMP into the hotline. That's marketing. Okay? Another one we hear, another small clinic, I heard this advertisement. Most are not aware of the negative effects of low testosterone can have on your mental state. For instance, your ability to focus and think clearly. So, as a community service, I have this special offer. For any guys out there that are thinking of voting for Hillary, I want to offer you a free testosterone test. Now, that's funny, I guess. You know, it's, uh, you know, the politics are politics. I'm not touching politics. I'm not, I'm not political. One way or another, please just know this. I'm not voting one way or the other here. I'm, I'm a very fierce independent here. I'm, my job is not to be political. I just threw it out there because I just saw that ad and I thought it was hilarious in the sense of how horrible it is. Because it's challenging your masculinity based upon your political choices that are different from another man's. And the other one's saying that you're becoming softer and lazier and weaker and and that, you know, you don't want to be a wimp. Is that masculinity? What is that? Well, I'm glad you asked. The masculine overcompensation thesis asserts that men react to masculinity threats with extreme demonstrations of masculinity. That sounds great, doesn't it? But really think about it. That's not new. You threaten a man's masculinity and if he's insecure with that masculinity, how's he going to react? He's not going to react. He's going to overreact. Some of the best insults you can give a guy to get him riled up, you want to trigger a guy, is question his masculinity. Especially if he's insecure about that masculinity, he freaks out. That's a fact. We all grew up with it. We've seen it throughout our lives. Plenty of insecure guys out there, you can see, you just trigger them by questioning their masculinity, they freak out. What happens in that environment? That has led to something called the Male Compensatory Consumption Marketing Strategy. (laughs) That That is a real thing. The Male Compensatory Consumption Marketing Strategy. So you question a man's masculinity you have him doubt his masculinity. You have him be afraid of his masculinity with your marketing strategy and he will overcompensate. And if you direct it correctly, you will sell product. That is what that is. That is what that strategy is. And that's what we're seeing out there in the market right now, especially with testosterone replacement therapy. Current marketing strategies now employing this. Um, driving more men into these clinics. More men are coming into these clinics. And is that a bad thing? Brendan, tell me that's a bad thing. Remember the beginning of this episode. What is low testosterone doing to these men? Glucose, diabetes, you're seeing cognitive changes, emotional changes, your wellness. It is not a good thing to have it below. It's not going to correct the sperm count. It's not going to correct the penile anomalies, but it's going to improve the quality of life of these men that are getting it. Is it bad that they're being driven into these clinics even though the message is pretty shady? I mean, come on. It's going to help these guys, right? If it was done healthy and well, testosterone is not something you should take randomly. And it's not something you should just start popping in your body because, I mean, look at all the professional bodybuilders over the past 30 years who are really this big deal out there in the industry. They're dying now because their hearts are blown up well, they were doing testosterone randomly at high doses without lab work. It's not good. The problem with these men being driven into these clinics these high rates is that they're going to these clinics and they're not being tested. The rate of administration of testosterone to men has gone up in America, but the rate of labs done on testosterone to men has actually gone down in men. So these men are getting their testosterone replacement therapy, but they're doing it without lab work. So who's to say the level that's in their body? Hormones are not meant to be at some random level. Too much is not good. Too little is not good. Goldilocks needs to be in the sweet spot. So I think I'm going to cut that here at this point because I've been told I went over. (laughs) I still have more slides to go. I have more slides to go. I'm going to cut at this point now. Um, There is hope. I know you just listened to one episode and I'm ending on a sad note. I'm sorry. There is hope because there is a solution. And the solution is not something I invented, okay? It's real and it's been out there a long time. It's just not being employed. And it's not hard to do. And so at our next episode, I promise you, I will circle back. I'll go over things we discussed a tiny bit, but I will drive into more into how it's being treated, how it could be treated better, and what that would look like. So thank you so much for tuning in. I truly appreciate it. As always, if you found something in here that was useful or helpful, please subscribe, like, share it with a friend. You know, reach out to me. Let me know. These are things that are important for you, and and if they are important for you, rather, I will do more on this. Uh, There's so much material to discuss. Um, Thank you so much for tuning in. Have a good day.